In the absence of a knowing consciousness, the known can have no being, even if granted that the known has being, also when not being known, which is the consciousness to which occurred, the knowledge of such an existence. No such knowing, without a knowing consciousness, can ever there be as is convincingly understood. Hi, hello and welcome back to Aruva, Knowledge. We are working through the poem written by Sri Narayana Guru called Aruva, Consciousness, Knowledge. Sri Narayana Guru was a sage who lived between 1854 and 1928. He was recognized as a spiritual leader who worked tirelessly to find ways to minimize human suffering. However, it is his work as a poet that we are enjoying here today. My usual start of the day is an early morning walk, just as the sun's light is walking in and the night is receding. A beautiful time of peace and tranquility, all the while the energy is full of anticipation. So this morning it is the 5th of November 2020 and winter has arrived as there is fog and chill in the air, and it dawned on me of the meaning of the verse 2 of Aruvu, that which we are going to cover in this episode. It's a simple realisation, but I think it may touch on a meaning that is otherwise a very challenging knowledge to convey. This poem really takes us to a level where words are not enough to explain that which is touching the honey within and for the briefest of seconds. As I felt the cold and the fingers and toes started to numb, I thought about heat and the absence of it. The point is that I realised that although I did not feel the heat, it is present because the sun has risen and has lit and made the trees and grass and everything visible. So although I could only feel the cold, heat is ever-present. The only feeling the cold now does not negate that that which is within. So I get the idea that the knowledge that we know and the knowledge that we don't know is one and the same, and that they simply hang out together, even though it may not be felt through the five senses or in the field of our mind. But the knowledge that we talk of, there is a knowledge that transcends all knowledge known and otherwise, because everything is one consciousness. The enormity of this verse is becoming ever more inclusive and intrinsic, so nothing exists whether outside, inside, known or not known. It all belongs to the one and only consciousness. Our lives are made richer in knowing of this oneness, and that we are an expression of the creative one consciousness, which is liberating, because I am the consciousness. In an effort to convey that which I have understood from this verse too, and the meaningful and wonderful explanation given by Guru Muni Prasad, I will read you a short poem. Dear Golden Chrysanthemum, Yesterday I brought you home and placed you on my study table. I watched you 
as a bud looking out towards the sun. A day passed and still you kept shy and held yourself within. Today each petal has started to unfold and I see you bloom and I wonder what is pushing you to share. The wonderment of you will never cease and will never be known by those that want to cut you up, study you, reduce you to tinier and tinier parts. You see, you and I are one. The mystery that unfolds as you bloom is the same mystery that unfolds within I. We know of the mystery, but we cannot speak it because like you, I become wordless when I feel the wonder of the wonder. I hope you enjoy this amazing verse 2 of the Arava Consciousness Knowledge, along with the amazing explanations given by Guru Muni Prasad in his book of Shorter Philosophical Poems by Narayana Guru. In the absence of a knowing consciousness, the known can have no being. Even if granted that the known has being, also when not being known, which is the consciousness to which occurred, the knowledge of such an existence, no such knowing, without a knowing consciousness, can ever there be as is convincingly understood. Now I'll give you the expansion by Guru Prasad. Unless the knowing consciousness exists, no known object would exist. Suppose the known object exists with no consciousness to know of it. That the object exists, thus wise, is also a knowledge, which is the consciousness in which this knowledge occurs. No such knowledge is possible with no consciousness to know of its existence. The first verse showed clearly that one consciousness alone has real existence and that the existence of everything else is nothing other than the one consciousness become variously self-unfolded. On the other hand, modern science teaches us that it was matter that emerged first and consciousness appeared later as a byproduct of it. That means matter can exist with no consciousness existing to know of it. The present verse examines the validity of such a notion. Though all of us conveniently say the world, no one exists who knows the entire world. What is within the bounds of our knowledge of the world is merely a minute part of what really exists. The rest of it remains outside the bounds of our knowledge. That we do not know, it does not make that unknown part of the world non-existent. Whether we know of it or not, it remains there always. Such is the notion we have of the world or of what exists. All that we directly perceive, we usually take as real. The assumed proof of it is that we have the experience of it. That means our experience is what makes the existence of something certain or uncertain. In the absence of a consciousness experiencing it, the existence of something does not become certain. All experiences 
have their being in consciousness. Thus it is as the various manifest forms of consciousness that everything we know exists. Then what about that which is outside the bounds of knowledge? Does it also exist in consciousness? We already know that what we do not know is more than we do. We know that nothing outside the known area is clearly known to us. This is also a knowledge, and we know this only because the knowing function takes place in us. We discriminate that this much is known to us and the rest is not known to us. This discrimination also is performed by consciousness. Suppose no consciousness that performs the action of knowing exists at all. Then the differentiation of the known and the unknown also does not occur. The notion that something becomes the object of knowledge and some other things do not become so also becomes meaningless unless the action of knowing occurs. Something gains the status of being an object only when it is known. If matter alone is what exists, its existence is known to a consciousness and it also becomes an object or part of the objective world only when known by a consciousness. With no knowing of it, matter existing and not existing are equal. When consciousness performs its knowing function, if a particular thing does not come within its ambit, then it remains an unknown object. That means the known and the unknown have being only when consciousness exists with its knowing function. Modern science that bases itself on materialism teaches that whether I or you or anyone knows about it or not, the world that becomes an object of knowledge exists independent of the knowing mind. Let us admit it to be so. Still, that such a world exists also is a knowledge which is the consciousness to which this knowledge occurs. With that consciousness not existing, the independent existence of the world becomes meaningless. So much about knowing the world. Now let us look at knowledge knowing itself, or rather consciousness becoming aware of itself. Then the object known is consciousness itself. When is then the subject? It is myself. Am I not consciousness itself in essence? Yes. As we become aware of consciousness, we very often forget that the object of knowledge is none other than the subject who knows or the knowing consciousness itself. Thus, even while remaining one indivisible consciousness, it is thought of both a subject and object, allowing the thinking process go on. Such a division of the knowing consciousness and the known consciousness, while consciousness remains indivisibly one, happens because something veils the real consciousness so that it is not perceived. This veil that causes the apparent division is called avidya, nisyans in Vedanta. Only to those in whom this avidya veil is removed 
does the secret of non-duality of consciousness become revealed. The duality of the thinking consciousness and the consciousness that is thought of simply vanishes upon this revelation. Until the removal of the avidya veil, such arguments continue like the subject is real or the object is real. In fact, it is where this avidya reigns that such arguments, particularly about consciousness or reality, can play their role. If the consciousness that is the object of knowledge exists apart from the knowing me, then there would be none to know that consciousness. But it is not the actual case, or consciousness is constantly being known. That means consciousness and I are simply one. This subtle point is clarified by Guru himself in his Atmabhadesha Sathagam as follows. Pure consciousness, Arava, and I, Atma, these two are one alone. In the perception of the one who has become free from the veil of avidya, others go on arguing for or against. If I, Atma, could be taken as something other than pure consciousness, then there would be no one to be conscious of that consciousness. This hidden principle implied in making consciousness our object of knowledge is equally true with making the external world so. The objective world, as we have already seen, is also consciousness in essence. Knowing the world, then, means knowing the consciousness. The existence as well as the non-existence of the world becomes meaningful only to a knowing consciousness. That consciousness cannot be non-existent, for no non-existent consciousness can know. Both the existence and non-existence of the world are thus not beyond the bounds of consciousness. In short, without knowledge or consciousness existing, no object of knowledge can exist. Logically speaking, I become knower and an object becomes the known only when the knowing function of consciousness takes place. In its absence, neither do I gain the status of the knower, nor does the thing known gain the status of the known. That means, when no knowing happens, neither the subject exists, nor the object also exists, but both exist when knowing occurs. That brings us to the end of verse 2. I hope you've enjoyed that and given you plenty of food for thought to ponder over, um, as I did with many a times having read this verse too. So, um, thank you for listening and uh, until next time, bye for now. Thank you.